0: Well, let me encourage you to turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 5 this morning. Revelation chapter 5. Uh, This past month, a well-known pastor in America created a firestorm when he began his message on Sunday morning by quoting a children's song and then saying this. This is what he said. He said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And then he went on to say, this is where the trouble began. Now, he has since come out and he's clarified what he meant. He said, I believe the Bible is without error in everything it affirms. I believe what the Bible says is true. But here's my point. The songs that we often sing as children, though they may be simple, they teach us timeless truths and even though that song that we learned as a child Jesus loves me this I know for the Bible tells me so is a simple song it's a song that teaches timeless truth and that's why I want to begin this morning by quoting another children's song that I believe is equally filled with truth you've heard it you can quote it it goes like this Jesus Loves the little children, all the children of the world. I want you to say it with me. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. That's a song that, that most of us who at least were raised in church grew up singing. And it is a church a song that teaches truth. But the fact of the matter is... If you visited the typical church today, you wouldn't know that we really do believe that that is truth. You see, if if you visit a typical church in America today, there are a lot of things that are going to look very similar. There's going to be some singing. There's going to be some teaching. There's most likely going to be some praying. And if it's a Baptist church, there's definitely going to be an offering taken. There are going to be some things that are very similar. But there's going to be something else that you notice when you walk into a a typical American church. When you walk in the front door, you can tell what kind of church it is. Now, I'm not talking about whether it's a formal church or, or an informal church. I'm not talking about whether it's a Baptist church or a Methodist church or a Presbyterian church or a Pentecostal church. I'm I'm talking about this. When you walk into the typical church in America on a Sunday morning, you can tell whether it's a black church or a white church or an Asian church or an Hispanic church. Chris Moore, who is co-author of a book called More Than Equals Racial Healing for the Sake of the Gospel, says this in his book. 90% of African American Christians worship in all black churches. 90% of white Christians worship in all white churches. LifeWay research has discovered that that only between five and seven and a half percent of churches in America are considered racially diverse. They are giving that designation when when they have at least 20% of church members who attend that don't belong to the predominant racial group. And so less than five to seven and a half percent of churches in America today are are racially diverse. In 1963, Martin Luther King said this. He said, It is appalling that the most segregated hour of Christian America is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. And it seems that in many ways, this hasn't changed here in America. 53 years later, still it seems that the most segregated place in America is the church on Sunday morning. Now, you may be asking, why am I talking about this today? And let me remind you that we're wrapping up a five-part series on worship in heaven. What worship is like in heaven today. And if this is your first Sunday with us, you're new with us this morning, I want to, I want to review for you for a minute. We discovered, first of all, that, that worship in heaven is spiritual. John was in the spirit when he was transported from earth to heaven, and he began to observe the worship that was going on in heaven. And, and we discovered that if we are going to worship today, we must be in the spirit. We discover that, that that worship is first and foremost a spiritual thing. Our emotions are involved, our our mind is involved, our, our body is involved, our will is involved, all of that is involved, but first and foremost, worship is a spiritual thing. Jesus said that those who worship must worship in spirit and in truth. You see, it's it's not a matter of the clothes we wear or the music we listen to or the, the building that we gather in. What makes worship worship is that we are in the Spirit. The second thing we discovered is that worship in heaven focuses on God on the throne. And that reminds us that worship is not about us. It's about God. We don't come together to get something out of worship. We come together to give something to the one who is to be worshipped. We come together to give him our thanks and our praise and our honor and glory because he and he alone is worthy of worship. We come together to to bend our knee and bow our head and give our lives to him because he and he alone is the one who is on the throne. And because he is on the throne, it reminds us that he is sovereign. He is in control. He is all-powerful. He and he alone is God. He is the creator of Heaven and Earth, everything that is and and everything that has been, and because he is God, not only does everything owe its honor to him, we owe our honor to him in week three we we discovered that worship in heaven is is all about all when we are in the Spirit, and we see God on the throne, it will bring us to a point of awe in our lives. When we discover God's majesty and God's glory and God's splendor and God's holiness, we will be overwhelmed and we will be in awe of Him. And when we are in awe of Him, it will cause us to to fall to our knees before Him. It will cause us to sing out loud our praises to him, and it will cause us to give our all to him last week we we discovered that that the prayers of god 's people are involved in the worship in heaven. Our prayers lifted up to the throne of God today are a part of heavenly worship that is going on and And we discover that our worship or our prayers are pleasing to God and and our prayers prepare the way for us to enter into the presence of God. We discover that our prayers are powerful because they go to the throne of the all-powerful God. And we discover that our prayers are to be pure. The prayers of a righteous man, a righteous woman are powerful and effective. But this morning as we wrap up this series I think it's appropriate that we look at this last characteristic of heavenly worship and that is the diversity involved among those who are around the throne I want you to listen to what it says beginning in Revelation chapter 5 verse 9 and they sing a new song you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchase men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Now turn over from chapter 5, two chapters, to chapter 7. And in chapter 7, Verse 9, we read this. After this, I looked, and, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne. And in front of the Lamb, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You see, heaven will include a, a rainbow of colors gathered around the throne worshiping the great I Am. The Word of God teaches us that people from every nation, every race, every language will be gathered around the throne worshiping the one who was slain, worshiping the one who saves and serving Him forever. One day, One day we will stand hand in hand, arm in arm, worshiping the one who is, the one who was, and the one who is to come. One day, one day, race will no longer divide us. Nationality will no longer divide us. Language will no longer divide us. One day, we will discover that we are one family, the family of God. One day we will discover that we are one race, the human race. And I want you to understand that that is not just some catchy phrase. That's a biblical truth. Let's go back to the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, we discover that God created man in his own image, in his own likeness. He created man and woman. In chapter 2, we discover that that God made a woman for Adam, his helpmate. And then in chapter 3, verse 20, we read this. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. Did you get that? Did you hear what that said? Eve is the mother of everyone who has ever lived and ever will live. Now let's go to the New Testament. In Acts chapter 17, verses 26 and 27, it says this. From one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set before them and the exact places where they should live. God did this. So that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from from each one of us. You see, God's word clearly tells us that, that Eve is the mother of us all. And Adam is the father of us all. If we go back far enough, we will discover that we are all related. We may look different, we may talk with, with different accents, we may have different physical characteristics, but if we go back far enough, we will discover that we are all related. Now, here's what some people think. Some people think that, that our racial differences today are the result of sin. They are the result of the fall. But if that were the case, in heaven, we would no longer see those differences. Because in heaven, all sin is wiped away. In heaven, everything is made new. And yet in heaven, we see this diversity, don't we? We see people from, from every nation, ethnos, every tribe, every people, every tongue, every every language in heaven, worshiping God. You see, in heaven... There is going to be diversity. Why? Because God loves diversity. And God from the very beginning created us to be diverse. Have you ever thought as you looked out at creation, the plant life, the animal life, have you ever thought, wow, why do we have that plant? What is the purpose of, of that animal? Have you ever looked at a, a plant or have you ever looked at an animal and go, Whoa, that's unique. That's different. Why did God create a world with such diversity in creation? Because God loves diversity. Why did God create a race, a human race, with so much diversity? Diversity in in color, diversity in, in characteristics. Why did God do that? Because God loves diversity. And the crazy thing is that if we believe the Bible is true, and I do, then from one woman and one man, God created all this diversity. You know what that means? That means that Adam and Eve were the first truly interracial couple. Now, we don't know what they look like. We have no clue what they look like. We've seen The pictures that that artists have painted that people have come up with. but, But we have no clue. But what we do know is that from these two, all the different nationalities, all the different colors developed. Adam and Eve are the mother and the father of us all. Out of their differences came each and every one of us. And one day, someday, all of the things that have come to divide us will be in the distant past and we will gather around the throne still uniquely different, but yet we will be one family. And I don't know about you, but that absolutely excites me. Now what can we get? from this what does this mean for us today let me give you two things if I may and then we're going to wrap this series up here's the first thing it means that locally our doors and our hearts must be open to everyone now notice what I said I said our doors and our hearts What that means is we must be willing to to deal with our prejudices. We must set aside our preferences so that we can be positioned to reach everyone. And the truth of the matter is every single one of us have some prejudices to some degree. And every single one of us certainly have preferences. I know I do. There are things that I prefer and i know that that i have some prejudices let me give you one of my prejudices if i may okay if i'm walking down a city street that is a large metropolitan city at night and and, and walking toward me is a is a big big white guy that is bald headed that is tattooed up and down. He's got tattoos on his head. He's got tattoos on his arm. And he's got a crazy-looking beard going on. And and he's got a a leather vest on. Can I tell you? I've got some prejudice. I'm going to be watching him. I'm going to be observing him. That's just who I am. I wish I I wish I wasn't going to stereotype like that but but I know that I am. I recognize it. In the same way if if I'm walking down the street and and and, and I see a a black man and the black man is is tatted up, and his pants are down a little bit further than, than they should be, and, and there are some other things there, I'm going to be a little bit prejudiced. I know I am. I admit that to you. At the same time, if I'm walking down the street and, and there is a white man wearing a, a sweater and a nice pair of slacks, I'm probably not going to have any prejudice. There's a black man who's walking down the street and he has on a sports coat. I'm not going to have any prejudice. I mean, that's where I'm at. I don't know where you are at, but, but here's what I know. We all struggle with some prejudices to some degree. We just do. And we all have our preferences. And yet here's what the Bible says. In Colossians chapter 3 verse 11, the apostle Paul said, here in the family of God, there's no Greek or Jew, there's no circumcised or uncircumcised, there's, there's no barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and he is in all. Now I love how the living Bible translates that verse. Listen to it. It, it says, In this new life, one's nationality or race or education or social position is unimportant. Such things mean nothing. Whether a person has Christ is what matters. And he is equally available to all. Did you hear that? In God's eyes, nationality, race, and education, and social position are all unimportant. And Jesus both modeled this and he taught this. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, we we read the story of of Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well. And, And the story begins in verse 4 with it saying, He, Jesus, had to go through Samaria. Now what you need to understand is that the typical Jew would never step foot in Samaria. They would avoid Samaria at all cost. That was the neighborhood you didn't go in. And it wasn't because it was a dangerous neighborhood. It was because those Samaritans, they were different than you. They were half-breeds. You despised them. You hated the Samaritans worse than you hated the Romans, the Greeks. You despised them. And yet Jesus had to go through Samaria. Why? Because he wanted to show his disciples that God's love was for everyone, regardless of where they were. And Jesus encountered a woman, a Samaritan woman. And he sat down with her. He talked with her. He drank water with her. He broke every social norm. And you know why he did? He did because she mattered to God. And he wasn't going to allow anything to come in between this Samaritan woman and these people hearing the good news that the Messiah was for everyone. And from that encounter, this Samaritan woman went back to her city and she said, come meet a man who has told me everything I've ever done. Could this not be the Christ? Because of her testimony, many in that city came to believe Jesus modeled the truth that the gospel is for everyone and our hearts are to be open and loving to everyone. And then he taught it in a story. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, we we read the story of the, the Good Samaritan. Someone asked Jesus, what is the most important commandment of all? Remember Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And Jesus said, for good measure, I want to tell you the second one, because it's like the first. The second one is love your neighbor like you love yourself. And the person asked the question, who is my neighbor? And Jesus told a story. A story of the good Samaritan, a story where the race of people who were despised and hated were the heroes. This Samaritan did what the religious Jews would not do. He stepped in and helped a person in need. And in this story, Jesus held up this Samaritan, this this hated race of people. And this Samaritan was the hero. You see, our hearts and our doors have to be open to everyone. And yet it doesn't seem that way today. It seems like there are things that have happened in the last two years that have brought perhaps more racial strife than we've seen in years and, and and I don't know whether it just brought it to the surface or whether it raised it up new. I, I don't know, but but I do know that there is division. And there's no way that that we can with open minds read and observe and not see that. And yet, the Word of God teaches that we are to be united. I read things on Facebook that that people say about instances that happen, and I think that's so insensitive. And I wonder how a lost world is thinking, what they're thinking when they read of Christians who respond to hurt and pain like they do sometimes. You see, we're supposed to open our hearts and our doors to everyone. Wayne Terry is a member of our church, and Wayne's here in this service this morning. And um, a couple of weeks ago, he, um, he posted something that absolutely shocked me evidently there was a church that was debating whether they should lock their doors. I mean, out of fear of who could come in and what could happen, lock our doors to keep out the undesirables, those that may hurt us. Can I tell you that I think that the typical church in America has already locked their doors? We may not have done it literally, but we've done it figuratively. If you look at, at the baptisms and the people that are being reached in our churches, we've already locked our doors. We've told people, we don't want you here. You're not like us. And we wonder why our nation is headed in the wrong direction. But understand, it's not enough to open our doors. We have to open our hearts. We can open our doors by an act of the will. But we can only open our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? It's when the Holy Spirit calls us to look at people differently than we have before. Through the eyes of God. And so, what does it mean that one day every nation, every tribe, every language every people will gather around the throne well locally it means that we've got to open our hearts and our doors to everyone globally it means we must do our part to reach the nations acts 1 verse 8 says this but you'll receive power when the holy spirit comes upon you and and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, where you live, through Judea, your country, in Samaria, those despised people, and to the ends of the earth. Now, look at me. This is important. You've got to listen. You've got to listen carefully to what I'm about to say because I know that what I'm about to say can be misunderstood. And so listen very carefully. I love America. I love living in America. I love the fact that I was born in this country, a country where I had the freedom To hear the gospel and receive Jesus with relative ease. I love that. Every time I go out of the country and I see the beauty of other places, I thank God that I live in America. Because America is a beautiful place. Every time I visit other countries and I get back to America, I am thankful that I live here. But I've got to be honest with you. Just as our prejudices can keep us from reaching people next door to us, our extreme nationalism can keep us from reaching people globally. Now, understand... If you are a Christian, you aren't an American that happens to be a Christian. You are a Christian that happens to live in America. And you need to understand that your allegiance is not to a country. Your allegiance is not to a flag. It's not even to a constitution. Your allegiance is to the one who sits on the throne and to the Lamb of God. And we are first and foremost governed not by the laws of our land because those can change. We are governed by the Word of God. And listen, I know, I know that our way of life, the freedoms that we love, the values that we hold are being attacked today. I understand that. And yet I know that, that the Word of God says clearly that we are to love our enemies. We are called to share the gospel in difficult places. We are called to love all people. Even those people that don't love us in return. And that's why I'm challenging you right now to do everything you can to reach people in those places that that may be places that don't like us that's why i'm challenging you to to reach people that may not look like you and and act like you that's why i'm challenging you to to partner with us in and, and seeking to reach the 6,000 unreached people groups, the 3,000 unengaged people groups, because one day every tribe and every nation and every tongue and every people will be gathered around the throne, people from all of those groups, worshiping the one who sits on the throne. And so my question is this. What are you doing to make that a reality. Our church. We really are better than most. But, but we would not fit into that racially diverse category. We're better than most. And praise God we're, we're moving in the right direction. But, but we're not where we need to be. And so I want to challenge you right here, right now, to make what is going to happen in heaven one day a reality in our church today. Let's do everything within our power to reach people in our community who are different than us. Let's do everything we can through not only giving our resources but asking God, should should we go ourselves so that we can reach people in other places who have never even heard the good news of Jesus? Because one day, people from every nation and every tribe and every tongue, every people, Be gathered around the throne. And we will be hand in hand. We will be arm in arm praising the Lamb and the one who is on the throne. And so why shouldn't we be working to prepare for that right now? That's what God calls us to do. Heavenly worship, you've got to be in the Spirit. It's all about the one who is on the throne. When we're in the Spirit and we see him on the throne, it will cause us to be in awe of his majesty, his glory, his holiness. And that will cause us to fall to our knees to sing praises to him to give our all. Our prayers, the prayers that we offer today are or a part of worship. And heavenly worship is diverse. So let's make it diverse today. But before I close this, I've got to ask this question. Because one day there will be people from every nation, tribe, language, and tongue, or language and people there. But the question is will you be there? <laughs> I mean, do you know that you know that you know that you're going to be there in heaven worshiping the one who sits on the throne? Do you know that? Is the Spirit of God living in you? Has he made you new? If you're going to heaven, you've been made new. Paul said all things are made new. Jesus said we are born again. We are born new. Has the Spirit of God come to live in you? Has he changed your desires? Has he caused you to have a love for all people? Has he given you a desire to to have everyone hear the gospel, the good news, and be saved? If you're here and Jesus hasn't made you new, and yet you want him to, I want to give you that opportunity. I want you to bow your head. I want you to close your eyes. Right here, right now. If you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus and that's the desire of your heart, I want you to pray this prayer. Dear God, I come to you this morning knowing that I am not ready to stand before you. You haven't made me new. I don't believe your spirit is living in me. I don't think I've been born again. And I need to be. So, right here, right now, I'm trusting you to save me, Jesus. I'm turning from my sin, I'm giving you my life. I believe you died on the cross to pay for my sins and give me victory over sin. Set me free. Fill me with your Spirit. Make me brand new, I pray. Amen.